This episode is brought to you by Think Water Broom. Think Water are your local water experts for irrigation projects big and small. Their fully stocked retail store sells the latest irrigation products, including fittings, pipe, filtration and solar supplies. Covering the Kimberley and Pilbara regions of Western Australia, their knowledgeable and passionate team are experts in the design and implementation of the most water-efficient irrigation and water management programs across all sectors. Listening to the Central Station Podcast, where we bring you true stories of what life in the outback is really like and why many wouldn't live anywhere else. So pull up a stump, pop the billy on, or crack a cold one as we talk to the men and women who call some of the most remote parts of Australia home. This podcast is brought to you by Ariat Australia, the perfect choice for the tough jobs. Ariat boots and clothing work hard, look good, and are so comfortable there's never a need to slow down. Visit ariat.com.au today. Why would a young woman who was raised on sheep and cattle stations go off to ag college before entering the workforce? Surely, she already had a lifetime of experience, and the station work courses were designed for people who had never set foot on a station before. Well, the answer is that no matter who you are, where you've been, and what you know, there's always more to be learnt. And this is the essence of today's episode with our guest, Christy DePledge. Christy and her husband Rory own Kadari Station situated on the Pilbara Coast in Western Australia. Christy was one of the original contributors to the Central Station website, and you can find some of her stories in our book too. In this episode, Christy shares parts of her story, including working away from home, meeting her husband, raising a family, and building a cattle station from scratch. I started off our chat in my favourite way, by asking Christy about her childhood. So I grew up in the Gascoigne and my family, both mum and dad, both had connections to the land. Um, they met each other in that area and worked locally on a few different properties with a couple of young kids in tow for a few years and then settled down on their own place. It was a sheep station at the time, so I was three and... Um, Young eldest of four kids and had the typical bush childhood, which I'm just so grateful to my parents for. It was amazing, best childhood. Um, always playing out in the bush, so much freedom. Um, we were always outside doing something. If we weren't doing that, we were playing inside and good old VCR days and <laughs> all that fun stuff that the 80s and 90s kids remember and uh, just the best childhood. I'm just so thankful for that. Uh, Mum had um, long connections there, you know, family all through that area and I had a lot of um, dad's side there too because he's, his family came over in the 70s from Victoria so I had a lot of cousins 
um, locally and, yeah, great times, great memories. And so you're the eldest of four and you're actually the second sibling that's been on our podcast. So people may uh, remember Matilda. Gosh, I want to say episode 66, but sometime earlier this year, Matilda was on. So now we're, we're two of four. Yep. Courtney, Digby, Cohen Boyer. Yeah, halfway there. <laughs> what was it like being the eldest? Did that mean that you were like the most responsible, um, I've been serious told a lot one? <laughs> that I'm very bossy <laughs> by my siblings for many years. Uh, they always tell me how bossy I am and uh, all that stuff for a long time. Um, uh, typical oldest child took, I took the responsibility of being the oldest pretty seriously, I think. Used to, yeah, worry about my siblings and my family a lot. Uh, but no, we had a, we were so close, especially the oldest, us, the older three, Matilda was the youngest by a fair way. So yeah, we, we, um, we're closer now than we were as kids. Um, but no, I love my siblings so much. I feel really close to them all. They're all great people. I'm really proud proud of them all so if one was the serious one if that was you was there like a naughty one and a funny one? <laughs> oh, for sure uh, the devil may care one yes that's courtney and matilda probably the shy one and digby was a bit on the shy side too so yeah i guess so i was probably more the more serious one but we all we've all got a good sense of humor and Love having a um, laugh together and laugh about silly things, you know, just really silly things, inconsequential, meaningless things. So we find like, we used to, when we're all together, we get a lot of humour out of that kind of stuff. So, yeah, I really enjoy their company and I miss them a lot now. I don't see them as much. So everyone's fairly spread out across the country? Yep, everyone's doing their thing all around the place and, and all happy as well, which is great. They're all all connected with the agriculture industry in their way and, and very happy, yep. Growing up, did you ever think that you were going to do something different? To be honest, no. Because I grew up, I never, I didn't think that I would, but I, I don't really know what I thought either. I, I don't, I don't think I had any plans, to be honest. Um, pretty, just cruising along and never, well, never any plans for uni or anything, but yeah, I didn't really think about going bush or working on stations and coming back to it properly for, um, yeah, as a teenager at all, but that's yeah, it's how it's panned out, and I'm yeah, I'm very grateful for the journey that I've been on so far in my life. I think I've I've had a great life so far. I love that you've said so far because I'm like, hang on, let's remember you're still fairly young. So yeah. Sometimes I say things to people on the podcast, and I make them sound like they're really old and like their life's over, and they're only like fifty or sixty. And I feel I'm like, like I've sorry, had a very full life so far, though. You know, definitely. Yeah. Imagine what else you can fit in, though. Yeah, and we're about to find out all the things that have made your life so full. So, so when you were coming up to finish school, what what was the plan for you? Did you honestly, did you do school in the city? Sorry. Did you yeah. have a boarding school kid? Yep, two years, last two years in Perth. I was a bit of a smart ass. Um, at about fifteen, that was sort of peaking, and I ended up in Perth. Yeah, so that I didn't get into much more trouble. I'm not sure what Mum's plan was there, but anyway, that's how it panned out. But uh, yeah, I went and I finished school and went straight up to the territory. Joined in the, what was then the Catherine Rural College and did my certificate too. And, agriculture there, beef cattle. I really enjoyed that. and uh, I was only 17 at the time, very young, looking back now, um, so young. But no, I loved it. I really, really enjoyed it. 
was the only one to pass out of my class, actually, <laughs> which is a fascinating, fascinating memory to me because everyone that was in it was having a good time and stuff. But, yeah, a few things happened. But it was great. I really uh, – that was the start. I locked in that I really enjoyed it and wanted to do more. And that while I was there, I I um, was part – well, not part of, but the Consolidated Pastoral Company uh, had their – like beginners become coming there and um, doing courses there, so uh, I naturally sort of ended up working for one of their places after after my time at Catherine Rural College, and that was a really great progression. That's such the first a year. in such a small world because I also went to the territory, did the cert two at the Rural College, and when I was there, I didn't. Why well, worked for CBC many years later, but that year. They were still because I'm guessing there was a bit of a time gap between when we did it. Not that much, you know, that much older than me, but um, it would have been like a good maybe ten years because I was a bit older when I went. Um, and they still have all their first years back then coming in for like a ten day oh, intensive. Really? That's doing great. all the all the skills. I thought it was fantastic at the time. So many really interesting people from all over the place, mainly eastern states, but they were pretty. You know, from everywhere really. And they would, it was great. Looking back, those, those years, those three years first out of school were oh, some of the best years of my life. Still friends with a lot of those people, even though I haven't seen them for so long. And the skills that I learned at the time still hold me in good stead now. And, um, yeah, it was wonderful three years. So if you had come from a cattle station, which, so your parents were, so when you were little, it was sheep and then do they transition to cattle? Yes. So you're, you're as close to it as you can get. You've grown up on a cattle station. What made you think you needed to go to rural college and have some kind of formal training? Well, just in our family life at, at home, we um, we did a fair bit, but uh, it was just different, you know, growing up on the on the sheep station. We probably and those times were different as well. We had a lot more um, staff at the time as a child, so you know, your family getting out there and being part of it was not as um, just a thing. Um, but no, I know, I know as a kid that I always, mum was always down the sheep yards. My, my grandmother, she was always down the sheep yards helping and stuff, but, um, we weren't as required or asked to be down there. Uh, we did a bit, but so, you know, by the time I left school, we just, I still probably didn't know much and, and that, look, that's okay. Every family life on a property is different and how they, how they do things together is, there's no, you know, one way to be on a place. So um, when I left school, I, yeah, I wanted to go and, and learn some stuff, so some different stuff and go work for different people and ex- be exposed to um, men- mentors that I didn't have locally, I guess, though there was plenty of them there. I just wanted to fly further afield. And I had family in the Territory at the time. You know, they're still there, but I had family there. That's, I guess that was a bit of a draw card too. I didn't know you had family in the territory. Aunties, yeah, aunties really? in Darwin. So from oh, from dad's side or mum's side? Mum's side. Oh, there you go. Mm. So I went north and loved it. I absolutely loved it, and I loved those memories. Uh, I think I learned so much as a person. I was so um, not very confident when I left school and didn't uh, back myself in anything. Like like most young people, to be honest, I know that's not really abnormal, but. Um, it's, yeah, definitely a huge part of my memories of that time, that, those, those three years with CPC and working with great people and great bosses and just always learning so much. 
uh, about myself and about the industry and skills that I still use today. So, yeah, wonderful three years. And I, and I think the biggest lesson that I learned in that time was to have a go because I didn't, I didn't have a go. You know, I would doubt myself and um, hold back from trying different things, you know, in work and, and held myself back actually. So, you know, I know this, everybody feels the same. But yeah, just for me, I, I, that, I learned in those time, those years out of school in that, um, sort of working through station hand positions on those properties just to have a go and have fun and don't worry about whether you fail, just to have a go. I find that so fascinating that as somebody who came off a property and a station, not even just like a farm down south, that you felt that way. I, I, the way you're just speaking resonates very much with myself, but I had no, when I first went to territory, I had like no experience. And so I felt like a fish out of water, but I, and I assumed with all the other people in my crew who, you know, a lot of places I've worked that come from farms that nobody that came from a farm or a station would feel that way because it's like the opposite of being a fish out of water. Like this is your, your place. Every place is different and you yeah, you've been to enough places now to see that so clearly every everyone has their own rhythms and ways of doing things and every, you know, you've just got to have that open mind. But because I was fresh, you know, so young, 17, 18, 19, 20, sort of just so green and so naive, um learning to back yourself and have enough confidence to just have a go and not worry about what might happen. Just to just to have a go and was, be okay with that. When you say what, not worry about what might happen, was that about it actually just not working, or if yeah. it not worked what other people thought? Yeah, all those things, failure. Um, you know, what people are going to judge you on what you've tried and failed to do, or so it's not that you failed. It's not that I learned that later. It's not that you fail. It's just you just got to have a go, no matter what happens. Back yourself. Yeah. What do you think was the turning point where you did start to back yourself? Oh, it took a few years, probably a good couple of years, and I really believe that anyone who's uh, working on properties now, you, you're not going to – you need to have a couple of years. If you want to take it seriously, you need to do it for at least a couple of years. You can't, you can't be exposed to enough different situations to really get a good handle on different ways to deal with them because there's no one way to fix – things you know if there's a broken boar or horses or a cattle situation there's so many different ways to do that job so you've got to be exposed to lots of different just different situations and different people working with people you've got to you've got to be exposed to all that and it doesn't happen in one month on a station or a couple of months you've got to you've got to stick with it and keep testing out your ideas and learning other people's ideas and just keep growing and evolving, and then along that way comes comes messing things up and stuffing things up and breaking things and and making a wrong decision. So learning to be okay with that was, you know, like most people, it's a big thing. What was it like being in a crew with a bunch of other kids your own age? I mean, you, you're pretty similar in age with your siblings, but you know, there's just a few of you, and then you're far away from home. You're kind of just out of school. You've got that freedom. You probably would have been turning 18 at some point, and then you've got 
like a whole bunch of mates around you. <laughs> it was great. I I uh, was such a boring 18, you know, young adult though. I didn't hardly drink. I drink a lot more now than I did then. <laughs> I'm way more interesting now. But at the time, no, I didn't drink a lot. And a few times that I did, I was always messy, of course. So uh, that was so fun. Uh, I, I am a sociable person. I do enjoy my quiet time, but I'm a social person most, you know, out and about. So that was okay. I did really enjoy meeting uh, all those different people from all over the Australia. And uh, at one stage, I was the only girl in the stock camp with seven or eight other blokes. So, uh, but it was great. I had a, a partner on another place. So uh, I just knew that they weren't judging me on, you know, the fact that I was a girl so much uh, or young, young lady, more that, more on my work, which, yeah, that was important. And I'm really grateful for that. I know places can be different. So what was the social scene up there? And well, I guess for for context, what is the social scene like in the Gascoigne, uh, which is, I suppose you call like middle WA, the kind of central WA, a bit yeah. more towards the coast. And then you were up in the Catherine region, yeah. in the territory, uh, up in the top end, or VRD. Kananara. Yeah, yeah, area. Um, I think they're all pretty similar, to be honest. Uh, station communities like to get together, don't they? And they like to go to the rodeos and the campgrounds and gymkhanas, and you'll always have your um, you'll always have your loud, crazy crew that are doing, you know, hanging from the ceiling at midnight, and <laughs> and then you'll have your ones out out the back smoking, and all. You know, I think they're all pretty. I think they're all pretty similar, really. Yeah, have a good time. I know I I loved all that. It was I remember um partying and well probably not really partying, but going to Kirby's back when they were allowed smoking and just coming home with smelling like a cigarette and you know all that's the thing of the past now, really, isn't it? They not allowed anymore. So yeah, that's uh, that was one of my early memories. Brooks and Dunn, you know, playing very loudly, <laughs> thinking I was so cool. <laughs> Introduction to um, social life <laughs> as an 18-year-old. And what kept you off in the Territory for, was it three years you are up there? Mm. I, oh, and, yeah, WANT water. I loved it, just loved the experiences, loved the people, the company was great. Yeah, I just loved the whole the whole thing. I mean, there was difficult times, of course, no story is without, but there was um, way, way more positives, um, yeah, for me. What brought you back home then, or back down this part of the world? Uh, well, I sort of finished up my time there. I had a separation from my partner at the time, and it was time to just move away from um, that period and probably start afresh, touch base with the home base and and just, yeah, make a fresh start a bit. So I came back to WA and my um, family's properties uh, as a 22-year-old, I think I was, and worked on my parents' place, mustering with my siblings and and a few others, and that was such a good fun time. Uh, one of the few times that we've worked all together like that, and I really enjoy enjoyed it at the time and love thinking about it. Such a yeah good time, and then uh, worked locally with um, some friend, you know, some friends and family. Well, they like family grew up with, and yeah, loved that also, and. Um, just had a good old time and then towards the end of that year I uh, went and uh, it was like Christmas so I needed some sort of summer work and I ended up 
um, working on a place in the Pilbara here, like just West Pilbara, and um, met my future husband there. Yes. Now, I don't know if you're up to date with the podcast episodes, but if you are, you'll know. I love to ask people, how did you meet? Tell me the story. And I feel like <laughs> I've, I know you've told me about this before, but yeah, tell us the story. How'd you meet Rory? Uh, well, his family had just purchased these places uh, as an extension to their family businesses and and I needed some summer work. So I ended up by default getting this um, couple of weeks sort of just helping out job over summer. Basically, I was just trying to get cashed up for my New Year's stint. <laughs> and so off I tootled to this place to do just help out, you know, whatever was happening, a few boar runs, look after the lawns, that kind of stuff. And um, pulled in there and and uh, I met my future mother-in-law that night and brother-in-law and the next day I uh, met Rory, my husband, and um, we have a bit of a giggle when we think about this. I remember him getting out of the car and thinking, I was thinking, ooh, it's pretty nice Wrangler butt there. <laughs> <laughs> and, and he came over and we shook hands because uh, my mother-in-law had me busy on the rake there, raking millions of gum leaves, and... I should have left then. <laughs> and he, we smiled at each other and said, hey, how are you going? And he, he said, told me later that my eyes were so full of life. <laughs> so yeah, obviously after having a good old perv, they probably were, I suppose. <laughs> this is brilliant. Keep going, keep going. <laughs> so that's how we met. And then we just like worked together the next couple of weeks. And I guess things were blossoming then, but we – yeah, so then the next year I, um, yeah, we came, we, I, I went back there <laughs> and started working there as a, as a station hand and, and, uh, as they say, the yeah. rest is history. <laughs> I just love for everybody listening, obviously, like I'd say 99.9% of our listeners won't know you personally or have come across <laughs> you. Christy is a very reserved, uh, quiet person, um, you know. And just to hear her like openly talk about perving on someone's butt is <laughs> just a highlight of my life, you know. This is a rare moment, everybody. I hope you let it sink in and I hope she doesn't make me cut this I'm out, of the, sure out of the I'm episode. I'm embarrassed or not. <laughs> no, I think it's brilliant. <laughs> anyway, oh, so, yeah. And it's almost, well, not quite 20 years later, but <laughs> getting really? up, getting up there. Um, and 15 years. After you saw him in that first pair of Wranglers, now you've got about 4,000 uh, 4, to wash a year. <laughs> yeah. Do you, okay, I must ask you, do you still feel the same way when you see Rory walk away? Oh, yeah, it's a pretty good view. <laughs> <laughs> is he still in Wranglers or, or does he go into the cinch now with everyone else? Oh, he wears both. Yeah, yeah okay. Yeah. Is there a better? Is it, do, neither Wrangler nor cinch sponsor us, so it doesn't matter what we say here. <laughs> who, who provides the better support? Rear and support <laughs> and shaping. Oh, I think Wranglers are such good work jeans, very durable, very tough jeans, so I, I think I'd have to go with them. <laughs> As you sit here in a pair of Wranglers yourself. That's it. <laughs> oh, gosh. So you, what, what was the deal then? So you met – I know there was a bit of time from when you were working at Yannery to when you and Rory kind of started your own place. Um, what was the – what did that look like? So we lived at Yanri for three and a half years, and in that time we had um, two babies, a boy and a girl, Darcy and Joseph, and they were 
um, yeah, challenging times. Obviously, young couple, um, you know, family business and getting to know each other as well because we, we um, you know, we our family life got off to a, a quick start. <laughs> so we had... Yeah, two babies and living in the cottage there, and um, it was it was good. It was it was tough at times for sure. Can't deny that, but it was mostly good. And we had we always planned to move to Kadari and start here our own show, um, and that was always the plan for Rory. But when I came on the scene, obviously it became part of my plan as well. Uh, once we were married and you know making a future together, so. Um, Kadari had nothing here apart from a few waters and um, some basic yards. So, yeah, we uh, once we left Yanri, came to Kadari and st- well, started setting up here, uh, it was, yeah, big challenge. We took on a big challenge there because there was nothing here, no homestead, nothing at all. So I, we moved here in June 2010. It was my birthday, actually. I think oh, I can't remember how old I was. I'm really hopeless at that kind of stuff. But there's nothing. Just basic couple of dongers, um, big, you know, piles of dirt everywhere, and no garden whatsoever. A um, bit of a generator and a shed and some quarters. Um, another donger that we considered the quarters. And here we were, and that was our beginning um, of our own place together. And I mean, yeah, Carrie's only a little place, but it was our place and our our, our story. Um, part of it anyway. So here we were, two kids, and, and I was pregnant. Um, no TV. So <laughs> <laughs> pregnant. And by the end of, you know, towards the end of that year, uh, number three was on her way, and it was an interesting time. So Kadari is a separate pastoral lease. So uh, Rory's family had, well, they had Mandora, which is up on the coast. And so we've had Mandora on the podcast a few times with the, with the new people that are there. And they had Yanri. And so Kudari is next door to Yanri, but it's a separate pastoral lease, but it was kind of, was it run like just as extra kind of paddocks for Yanri? Yeah. So like you said, there was no, I know you've put pictures in one of your blogs that you wrote for us many years ago uh, of a very, I don't know, I can never say this word, dilapidated or just basically it had fallen like an yep. old homestead from many, many moons ago. Yeah. Yeah. No, it was all falling down. There's not, you couldn't rebuild there and we didn't want to rebuild there. It's not a, the ideal, I mean, I guess there is no ideal spot, but that, that was not the spot. Um, so we wanted to shift and be closer to where our central bore is on Kadari, which is basically the heartbeat of the, of the place and where our yards would be. So where we chose, um, you know, nothing to look at in the beginning for sure, but we've, yeah, so we, um, started from nothing and, and it was, uh, it was, yeah, no, it was, it was very difficult in the beginning for sure. It was tough times where he'd be, he was still working at Yanri a lot then. So I would be here by myself a lot with the kids and, and pregnant and this really pretty awful homestead. <laughs> But um, one, you know, compared to a hundred years ago when people were starting out pioneering, I've been called that a lot. You guys are pioneering, but it was we've had the medical chest, we have RFDS, we had phones, we have internet. Um, yeah. Did uh, you at the beginning though? Yeah, we had internet from the beginning. Oh, okay, well, that was a massive saviour. Yeah. yeah, but even then, I know, I know, I've been one of the people that said that you're kind of like the mod- modern day pioneers because. 
yeah, again, you, everything that we see around us today wouldn't have been here 11 years ago, would it? So this very tree that we're sitting under. I is, know, which is beautiful. So we've been here for 12 years. It's 12 years old and we're sitting under this beautiful canopy here now. And um, just it's been a, it's a really special tree, this one. It came from Andorra, so it's like a family tree. <laughs> it must be incredible to, you know, obviously I – have seen a, 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 ton, a few minor things I think of well actually no even I've only been coming here the last three years and I don't think anything major has changed but from seeing your blog photos from when you started writing for us in 2013 I can only imagine if I'd been here but for you to be here from when you literally look around and there'd just be nothing just packed a bush mm. and now we've got like sheds and a staff kitchen and staff quarters you've got a gorgeous veranda and lawn and all the plants yeah, you it's don't appreciate what, how much work that is when you have it all established around you. Um, I'm very jealous of old established gardens because they're just decades and decades worth of work. And I appreciate just how much work has gone into keeping that looking amazing and beautiful. Just lawn and trees are so special, you know. Um, so oh, I love my garden and um, that's my relaxation. I love watering my garden and being out there looking after it. It's yeah, part of my, you know, way to wind down and stuff. So when you first got here, what was it that you had? Did you have a where we're looking at the house now? Did you? It was just a one donger. Like, no, it's it's two dongers. Two donger. Is that the so the two sides? Yes, and then we created. And there was nothing. Was there? A, there wasn't a roof over the. No roof. No, no roof at all. And no just two dongers and nothing uh, that parallel d- to each other. And so you'd have to walk out, step outside, step down, walk across the dirt or whatever and get into the other side. Yes. And we just used that as in the beginning as a kitchen. That was all that was in there. Like they were still filthy from their journey here. And we lived in a caravan for the first few months. And then while, you know, I cleaned the dongers up with the help of my sister and she was here for a bit helping me. And that was like, I didn't have any other help. It was just my sister, Matilda. Thank you, Matilda. And um, and then eventually, I think it was towards September or something, the awning on the caravan collapsed and we were just about to move out anyway, so we that was good timing. We moved into the dongers and it was all, yeah, it was all pretty filthy and horrible really, but it was good enough for a start. Um, we just had to make do with what we had and chip away at it slowly over the years. So we've added added in ends on the on the ends of the building and then the verandas and I had a shade cloth veranda for several years. And, yeah, just been chipping away at it. For a few years there, there'd be something happening every year, um, little extensions, little improvements. But just in the last 12 months, we've actually installed air conditioners and a dishwasher. <laughs> so some pretty massive improvements. Finally, we've got enough power to supply these um, lovely gadgets. <laughs> it really is. I know you said, like, you're not a pioneer, but honestly, starting, it is just like – doing what everyone did 100 years ago, 150 years ago. But because you think where, you know, what was I doing in 2010? I definitely had like high-speed internet, <laughs> uh, air conditioning, you know, a, a veranda, like, you know, a, a building that was all joined together. Mm. And to think back then as well, you would have been in your mid-20s, mm-hmm. two little kids, a third one on the way. Mm-hmm. Like what, just a different. Yeah, crazy. I would never recommend it to anybody. <laughs> I wonder, I'm like, how did you survive it? Because, you know, and then I don't know what it was like. I mean, it may be a bit, depending on what your social circle was like, there would have been a bunch of other 25, 26-year-olds out there, or even when I was at that age, definitely, well, as, as we all know, no children or anything, but 
would have been out, you know, oh, I was definitely too old to be clubbing then, but out doing all the fun stuff and trying to, you know, mm. and meanwhile you're lighting a fire so you can have a hot shower and <laughs> rang- <doing> that. <laughs> wrangling, <laughs> wrangling snakes. and Yeah, a few times. I'm very scared of them though, so I just leave that to other people. But, yeah, no, I guess so. But I've got some amazing friends and a few of my friends um similar age and they've also got – Kids around the same age, so we were sort of there was a, there was a, sm- a small circle of us, and I've got in particular in this area, I think I feel very, very humbled and blessed. I've got a great community, and we sorted out. We started a mothers' club actually for a bit there for a couple of years. We all sort of had kids, not school age kids, they were all tiny, and we'd try and catch up once a month. So that was good at the time. It was something that we enjoyed at the time. It sort of fell fell away as they got older, and school became more of a thing so yeah it's a journey it's been an evolving journey tell me more about the community and how important that was and still is to you being able to make a goal of it out here especially being a young mum and yeah having so there's I just can't imagine that you had so much going on like you're raising a family you're working in a family business Mm. you're kind of living in in the dirt Mm -hmm. you know literally building you know nothing (laughs) You know, it's kind of coming at you from all angles. But like you said, there were a few other mums. And I know that in this part of the world, there is a particularly strong community. I don't know if it was always that way, but when I uh, came down, when you guys were at the Gascoigne Catchments Group, there's a there's like an event every year in Coral Bay. And mm. It's funny. We always talk about the, Pim- the Pilbara and the Kimberley. And, but I remember when me and a couple other girls from the Kimberley came down, we're like, oh, my gosh, these Gascoigne people, like they've got such a strong, thriving community mm. of like young people that mm. are just so active. Oh, they sure do. No, we are particularly blessed, I think. there's And back then, I mean, I've lived in this area for about 15 years, so I can only say from my own experience, but there's always, in my time, it's always been really strong, very supportive. Um, we've all got kids in similar ages, so I guess that helps too, but we're all catching up at the local events, and there's only a couple of those, but... Um, Everybody's everybody's really passionate about their their home properties and their businesses and improving their you know the school scene and just connections all the time. And yeah, I would be I can't imagine how it would be without those people. They yeah, they're amazing people, and I'm honoured to know them. Can I ask you about there was a piece that you wrote at an influential women's forum, and you shared it as a blog on our website. Uh, and I, from memory, it was called Christie's Message to All Country Women or to Country Women. Something like that. Something like that. And it was a very poignant piece. It was very, it wasn't very long, but it was very poignant. Um, tell us about that. I think at that time I was just deep in the, you know, small child tunnel and it can be a very dark place. You feel, um, I mean, everybody makes their choices and I, I'm not, um, looking for sympathy or anything and I know I know no one you know no one would think that anyway but when you have small children and you're home home alone with them a lot you do you know you, you do feel like things are pretty tough so I was you know I'd gone from being out in the out doing things freely and working on on the family business you know working on the property so to step back from that and and lose yourself a bit was it's hard there's you know and that's okay I was probably pretty seriously into that place at the time. Also, you know, I have three ch- very young children 
And um, when you're out bush, you do feel the pressure of, well, I certainly felt it of um, keeping them all safe and healthy all the time. I really, and it was tough. There was a few RFDS flights, which uh, probably put, um, uh, you know, I had a bit of uh, lingering anxiety from those times and that took a few years to process through. So, yeah, it was just, you do get through it though, you know, and when you're in it, it's hard to see. So I guess at that time, my message to other women particularly, and I know there's plenty of dads out there and blokes out there that feel the same. And I'm really glad that's uh, more normal these days to talk about it. But yeah, it was, it was important that we all share our vulnerabilities and our struggles and that they're totally normal. I guess at the time I was trying to say, it's okay. You're going to get through and, and you will get through. You will fall down, but you're going to get back up, and you're going to you're going to be okay. These this time, you know, the early 2010s would have been, you know, social media was still fairly new back then. Did that? Do you think that had a role to play in it at all? Like, were you keeping up with what everyone else was doing on other stations and and what their station lives looked like? Not so much. No, I guess social media became more of my way of connecting back then. Yeah, and that's why I think that's why I blogged a bit too to help keep connections and and make new ones as well, and to connect with people that um, related to the things that I was going through at the time. So yeah, at the time that was it. Be, you know, there were as you know there was a period where I was I wanted to get out of that, move away, and uh, and I was more comfortable with that. And I'm sort of coming back a bit now, but yeah, definitely at the time I needed to connect with others through that medium Mm, it was just a thought i was having that and particularly you know even more so in these days sorry some some vicious fly just bit me something just bit me (laughs) yeah we're sitting out here under the beautiful tree with the march flies um that as particularly you know we we put one part of our lives generally on social media and Sometimes you see like, you know, there's perfect smokos and perfect houses and it's almost like a country style magazine has come to life on your Facebook feed or your Instagram feed. And I can imagine that would be quite, I've spoken to quite a few mums about that, that, um, have said like they just don't even want to follow that stuff anymore because they're like, and then I turn around and look at my house and it is not the same or my children are naked and running around or, you know. Yeah. Not doing all these perfect so things. So I can imagine it would be, but like you said, you had those friends you know, in similar circumstances in the in the area mm. it must have helped. But I thought that's why it was very valuable to have you share a piece like that to say, hey, like, yes, even though I've put out these stories and I do love my life, like, I remember, I just remember one part of that piece you wrote was something about, like, the hundredth lo- load mm. of laundry. Yeah, yeah, you feel like you're just in this monotonous cycle of uh, chores every day and that still is the same. But I think it's uh, once you get past that, um, you realise everybody has bad parts to their work and um, I have these beautiful children and they're all amazing and I'm so proud of them and they are, you know, we just had to get through that part of our life and it's it was okay. There was lots of beautiful parts to it as well, you know, looking back. But when you – it's just tough at the time. But, but you know, as far as looking at other people's houses now, I, I – you love looking at my friends. I've got some friends with absolutely amazing, you know, really old homesteads, and I, I love seeing all that. But I'm not really one to um, be very house proud anyway. So, yeah, I haven't let that sort of doesn't worry me too much. Yeah, you seem to be in a bit of a sweet spot at the moment, and this is just my take on it. 
Um, so I, like I said, I've only been coming out here three years, but on this trip, I noticed like you have had time. You seem to be in a spot now where the kids are of an age where you can really get back into horsework. Mm. Um, you've been training some horses. Like these are things I suppose you've been doing the whole time, but you've just got that time now mm. to be able to put more into it. You've got some working dogs. You've got some sheep that you're training them on. <laughs> What's that like kind of, I guess, kind of mm. coming out the other side to – it's been good. It's been really nice. And that is true, yeah, especially the last six, 12 months. My youngest has gotten easier and I don't have to be supervising him as much now and um, stepping into a, the next phase, really. So that's interesting. It's exciting. It's a little bit scary because there's different sets of challenges coming my way. But, um, yeah, no, it's good. I enjoy, you know, finding, sort of polishing up on those rusty skills that I've um, lost a bit over the years and yeah, having a new bit of a hobby with my dogs and training might be too strong of a word, but <laughs> having a bit of a play. Um, yeah, I'm enjoying it. Yeah. And I'm enjoying being able to do all that with the older kids more so as well, you know, because they're, um, when they're home, you know, we all get to go out and enjoy each other's company, be out in the bush together. It's fun times. Is there still much more that you want done? I know, I think, well, that's probably a trick question um, because even if someone's on a place that's been established for 100 years, there's always little projects they want to get done. But are you kind of out of that big development stage or phase with the homestead complex itself? Yeah, I think so. There's a couple of things, as you say, that we'd sort of want to do, but with boarding school now being a pretty big priority, you know, that um, those sorts of things take a back seat, homestead improvements, so... Yeah, we um but out out in the property we've just put in some a fair bit of fencing, forty odd Ks of fencing and that's um that's a new project or not project but a new management um setup we've got there is in a bit of a uh paddock rotation and we're just literally doing that right now, um, starting that. So that's gonna be exciting to see how that goes over the next few years. It's part of our drought recovery plan and how we go forward um, in our pastoral business, managing our land, managing our cattle. So yeah, a few things like that are sort of happening out there. It's been exciting to start that off. I think something I've picked up from talking to a lot of other mums is that, like you said, you've got that period to kind of get through because when you have children, life changes so much and what you can and can't do yeah, is quite different. But then I think for me, looking at it looking at your story is like it was kind of like a double whammy because you also had so much else on the go with trying to build a house and so that's why I just Mm. I'm like oh everything's kind of at a place now where you can like obviously I know you'll never stop working this is I know you but um and but you're kind of at a point now where you can enjoy all the things that you've just slogged away at for the years but I haven't actually asked you yet in this episode about the rest of the station and so not only in this time are you guys building a family, a, ha- a homestead complex or a house. Um, you would have had, you know, people in and out your property all the time, your employers and other various people, but you're also developing Kadari as, as a, you know, not for, as a previously, you know, not properly used, um, well developed place. Mm. What is it about this block that you love? Oh, is it something that keeps you here? I think we're really blessed with this place because it's a it's a good it's a good uh, property in that it has good uh, grasslands, grass grasses, and the type of country. So it's a, it's a it's a big floodplain, 
and we don't have any permanent water here, but um, it's high-quality grazing land. So, And even though it's only small, a bit over 300,000 acres, I can't think in hectares, but, um, yeah, I feel really lucky that as a family we've been able to take on this place and build it up and, and do something with it and and learn and, and build our um, build our business up here. And it's been so fun to be able to do that, you know, like the fences I just mentioned and putting in waters and we've just come out of a four-year drought, so the way we had to manage that and because it's really not a matter of if those things happen just when. And um, we're in a, one of the, in the area where you don't get... Um, a wet season every year sometimes it's summer sometimes it's winter so all those things come into how you run your place and 12 years in i uh, would not say for, at all that we are uh, um have got it pegged down to a fine art or anything but we're enjoying the the process of it all and learning as we go and uh, we love our cattle uh, we really appreciate nice quiet cattle uh, beautiful drought masters, and it's so nice to see them looking good now. You know, with a bit of rain, oh, they in the look phenomenal. Yeah, when I drove great. in the driveway, guys, the other day I saw these beautiful fat cows, and I was like, "Oh, they must be spay cows." You know, they must have been. So spaying is the female equivalent of castration. Generally, when you spay a cow, obviously she can't have another baby, and she tends to just go up, get fat, live her best life until it's time to go to Harvey Beef or somewhere. Before they get to our dinner plates. And then I realized they all have these big wieners on them, these big babies <laughs> that they are feeding these giant, giant children. You know, your 22 year olds that really need to move out of home. Like, you know, it's time to move out of home, <laughs> We're guys. Coming for you. And not only are they feeding them, they looked phenomenal. Like, they generally, you know, depending on the season, if something, ha- you know, if you're a, a mother and you still have a 22 year old child at home, it's probably, you probably look a bit haggard, you know, and fair <laughs> enough. But these women just looked in their prime. And then we went mustering yesterday on a different part of the property and they, same thing. Um, I do want to ask you about, so as, as I was just mentioning, like, I just, just looking back on it, it just does my, you know, blows my mind. So you're starting a place from scratch. You're very young when you're doing it. Um, you're raising a family as well. And, like you said, there's also been a fair of the 12 years you've been here, a fair chunk of those has been in drought as well. And I love you just go, oh, we're in an area where we don't get a like a guaranteed wet season or a defined wet season. Mm. You also seem to be in this little bubble, and I've I've joked about it. I don't know if it's it might be in poor taste, but there seems to be like a little like invisible rate like shelter over this part of the world and a few properties north, south, and a little bit to the east. And it's like a force field and every year like when it is a wet season and we see cyclones brewing and you know, I spend the whole wet season just watching the the radar and it's like this invisible force field that somebody has pissed off the weather gods because the cyclones will be come and they'll be <laughs> tracking for you guys. They'll be tracking for this area, the rain will be and it's just they just pass and pass. Yeah. And everywhere else in the Pilbara has been getting something and like you guys and Mindaroo and Yanri and even like Red Hill and a little bit of Glen Flory. It's like you guys have really upset somebody and yeah. it's a little force field. Yeah, it definitely um, felt like that for a few years. <laughs> yeah, and so I can't imagine how, you know, like I said, you have all these other things going on that you're trying to manage, which would be still a challenge in and of itself, but but a great challenge in good years, but you had these really tough years. So can you tell me a bit about that? Well, I think anyone, you know, I think anyone can appreciate, you know, it's easy when it rains regularly, you know, you'd... Anyone can be an amazing manager when you're getting regular rainfall. Um, it's, it becomes a hell of a lot harder to um, 
deal with the situation when you're not doing that. And well, I mean, we've got two farms, so that helps a lot with our how we're managing the cattle and the land here. So, so yeah, we see we started. We could see that times were getting that the we needed to make decisions uh, around our concerning our numbers several years ago. So we'd started to um, destock some of those, and at the in the beginning, it was more the females, uh, younger females, and um, older cows and things. And with our farms, we were really uh, lucky. To, and I mean, it's you know, it was part of the plan. But and we, we're so glad that we've got these farms as to make it things more viable. But we sent a lot of our wieners there to finish off anyway. And then um, the last couple of years, we sort of got more serious with that. Uh, all our young stock went there to, and we weaned really hard here. Some areas we were weaning everything bar absolute newborns. So and that all we would you know, spend several weeks prepping them for travel and getting them adjusted into their new diets and things before they left the station and went to our southern blocks to um, get the TLC down there. So that's how we managed that. So why did you have to wean the cattle and what does that mean? So weaning the calves was part of looking after the cow. If we had left those calves and weaners on those cows, they would have struggled. They were struggling already, so it's part of um, giving her a higher chance of survival and ensuring that we basically ensuring that we can keep cow and calf alive. Otherwise, both are compromised in the situation that they are in. You know, with the very, very basically no grass, they were living off scrub by then. So say like in a good year when everything's green and luscious, you might not kick the kids out of home until they're like 20, 21, <laughs> they finish uni, been in a really hard year when you're fighting for survival and things are a bit marginal, the kids might have to move out of home at 16. Yeah. Is that kind of a... Yeah, yeah, you're just, yeah, you're helping mum out, you're helping the cow out yeah. and you're looking after the baby, the, the calf because they were, they were really tiny, the ones that we were taking off. So, but we would... You know, we only lost a handful um, over all the ones that we did take off. So um, it worked out pretty well. And we took also sent down several hundred um, big heifers and run them with a bull uh, in the last 12, 18 months. So, and we didn't know, but we were very ho- hopeful that we'd be able to bring them back to the property in calf, ready to go. And that's helped. So at the moment, we're actually, you know, our drought recovery is good as far as breeding numbers. Uh, just sale cattle is, is more of a challenge at the moment. But, look, we're happy. We're good. We're in a good position considering. My understanding from the conversations I've had with you and your husband, you know, socially and when I worked for the Ag Department, is that you're very conservative with your drought management, like very like early, making plans early, mm. acting early, and you've you've stocked your block very conservatively. You probably could have kept a few more up here, but rather than think, oh, the next rain is just a couple of weeks away or whatever, you, you planned for the worst and it's really shown. You were telling me the other day, so how much rain have you had this year? Over 300 mils this year. Yeah, which is, and how much did you have in the last 12, in the 12 months before that? 60. 60, so mm. you've had five times. Yep, last year's rainfall, and then what? What was it kind of on average for the few years before that when you were in drought? Uh, it was a little bit more than sixty, I think, but 
Yeah, not far off. It was not, about that. You know? Yeah. Yeah, very low. And so the country is looking good. There is um, – you've got so many kind of different country types. Yesterday as we're mustering and noticing – I don't know anything's name until I see like a gum tree, but different – you we go through grasses and then there's big patches of um, – wildflowers, some of like sand, sand dune country, then some clay country. Mm. Uh, you've got shrubs. Um, so what we call like top feed where the cattle are eating, not with their heads down, but with their heads up. Um, like, you know, browsing off trees and shrubs and, yep. um, then you have like spinifex country. There's all sorts of different things. And I was like, Oh, Christy, the country's looking great. And you said something about that while it is recovering well, um, there are parts that haven't really come back from the drought. Yeah, definitely seeing a lot of the older um, grass stumps. I don't know what you call them, but the ice, yeah, the older plants there, they're dead and they won't be coming back. So the it's going to be pretty important, and hopefully it happens that the next couple of years we'll see some um, consistent rainfall uh, to keep those younger plants coming through and get established again. Because uh, there's yeah, there's a lot out there that. Yeah, they just couldn't wait any longer and they gave up. Yeah, just hard to see. Yeah, but it's part of it, isn't it? It's yeah, it's tough. I hope that we do because even though we tried our best, and this this is what people that drive through drought-stricken areas really need to consider that it's not people necessarily flogging the country with their animals. There is a point where you just need rain and no. No matter what the landowner or manager's doing, they can't do anything if they have hardly any rain or no rain. <laughs> so, mm. and so you mentioned you had some new fencing in, and that was a part of a future strategy, mm. management strategy. What what will that look like, and how will that work? Well, that's resting country, and I mean, when it's not raining, it obviously it's not going to really grow anything more. But what is there is not being. Um, constantly chewed on and eaten so uh, it's resting areas around waters and and um, the cattle are you know moving now in mobs and we can manage their numbers so we'll have more of an idea now of what we've got in certain areas and we they're very large paddocks or there's two very large paddocks sort of two smaller ones two sort of medium-sized ones so they're going to be um, just so we can have a bit better control over where they're going and they're not because before it was all no fences all the old sheep fences were stuffed so they were just free ranging out there basically but now when there is storms and things happening they're not just going to chase the storms and go and smash that area and eat whatever nice green pick they can find they you know will be able to control that grazing pressure much more effectively now I am conscious of time because it is um a work, well, <laughs> I was going to say it is a work day, please. Even if it was a Sunday, it would still be a work day. Yeah. Yesterday, uh, we woke up at, well, I don't know about you, but I got up at 4.30 because um, we were mustering and this is, you know. Got to feed your horse? Dad. I know. I had to get up and feed. <laughs> when I was like, oh, what time are we rolling out? Or he's like, oh, six. And I was like, cool. So I like, went and set an alarm for 5.30 and the next minute you're like, yep, cool. So you'll probably need to feed the horse at 4.30. So, you know, the horse... <laughs> Ready to go. So here I am, <laughs> trudging out to the stables under the stars with a flashlight, feeding horses. It was such a cool day yesterday, though. It was really, it's um, I I've often said like the Pilbara is like this little well kept 
secret. Like everyone's all the oh the top end, oh the Kimberley, like and they're great places too, don't get me wrong, but <laughs> the Pilbara is it's cool. Yeah. Um and some of these family shows are very, very cool. And it was great yesterday. Um three of your <laughs> four no, two of your four kids are on horses. Joey was on a motorbike. Who's how old is he? What twelve? Twelve, yeah. Twelve. He's twelve and he's just Honestly, he could have been like a 27-year-old. Like he's just poking <laughs> along and watching the cattle and pulling up when he Amazing. needs to. And, you know, you see people on the tail and they're just like very slowly doing like these like loop-de-loops, just kind of, you know, working the mob. And he wasn't being – you'd think a 12-year-old boy would be like, you know, crusty demons like, you know. Yeah. He was just doing his thing. It was it was very cool. And the two girls on the horses and uh, little Tom is um, not quite at the – the age yet where he can go independently. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, uh, he, he, provi- he was a very big part of the team there, you say, because he provided all the laughs and all the entertainment. So he runs the show, really. Yeah. yeah. He's, he's pulling his weight. Yeah. He got on the two way at the end of the day. That was hilarious. <laughs> anyway, I want to, um, so again, for, like I said earlier, maybe 99.9% of the people listening, may not know who you are, um, which is the case for most of our listeners, but I said your sister Matilda had been on the podcast earlier. We've had your other sister Courtney write some blogs for us. Courtney's um, very – she's been done a lot of contracting and she's very, very handy with dogs. Um, I haven't had your parents on yet. That's coming. <laughs> and on Rory's side of the family, no one's actually been on the podcast yet, but we've spoken about them in a few different episodes. They're the Depledges. So that's obviously Christy to pledge and your maiden name, your family are the Robinsons. Um, so your family's down in the Gascoigne where in uh, previous years, um, some of Rory's family were kind of just south of Broome, but now they're kind of concentrated around Tom Price. You've got, um, family next door at Yannery. It is a, a, a fam, like family is such a big part. I think, uh, often, and I spoke about this with somebody in South Australia not long ago, that when you're out on a station, one of the things that can be quite challenging is your family is so far away, say for maybe company managers and stuff, you know, your family is often in the other side of the country or far, far away. But up here, you're absolutely surrounded by family, which is such, I don't maybe a blessing and a curse, but we'll go with blessing for now. <laughs> no, it definitely is a blessing most of the time, for sure. And they're all such uh, capable amazing people they all have you know and they're so supportive both both families you know my family and and Rory's family we could no we could not have done or be where we are now without any of them because they've all 100% supported us the whole way and um, in particular Yanri in the beginning of our time here at Kadari just um, getting us off the ground and um, helping us get going so Oh, so much gratitude and love for all them. They're amazing people and I'm really, really blessed with all of them. And I know, you know, whatever happens, we've got each other's back for sure. Rory's parents are amazing people. Um, Joe and Jane, the king. <laughs> he's, uh, he's like the, um, ab- yeah, the, sort of the boss man of Patriarch the- Patriarch of the family. Yeah, but he's, He's a very loving grandfather to our kids and um, 100% always behind us, the same as Jane. They just couldn't do enough for you, really, and uh, always helping and supporting us however they can. And we all work together and, you know, we're all we're quite often out mushering a paddock together when we're at the farms or doing some yard work and drafting. And here we're um, occasionally giving Yanri a hand and Yanri gives us a hand and, um, my brother-in-law's home soon and, um, he's, you know, we all 
get on really well most of the time. Of course, normal family, you have your moments, and we're all we're all human. That's what that's what we do. That's what people do. But um, I'm really lucky. I think both sides and uh, down in the Robinson side, the same thing. They're all doing their thing and um, on their journeys together. And it's a uh, it's pretty. I don't know, it's special to hear because I know like working with family in any industry, whether it's agriculture or whatever you are, wherever you are in the world can be a challenge. And we've had examples on this podcast, you know, it, it is a spectrum, um, but you guys are a very tight knit family to the point where I even like, I've just adopted myself in. I'm like, <laughs> oh yeah, I'm one of them. And then uh, we had, I was down somewhere in South Australia, which is uh, sort of like, What's the relation? Oh, um, your brother-in-law's family. Mm. And, and on my mind, I'm like, oh, it's all fa-. like we're all the same family. Yep. <laughs> and I was like, when I met them, I was like, oh my God, you're like my family. And they're like, we're not related, not even by marriage. I'm like, <laughs> you yes. are. I'm like, but same, same. Like, you're one of them and they're my people. <laughs> they're my people. Um, it is very cool to see that you guys. Obviously, we'll, we might have another episode later on down the track to be like, but how? How do you make it work? Mm. Well, and I think um, part of that is like how it does work is that there's clear leadership generally. You know, of course, there's times when it's a bit patchy or whatever. Like, you know, you just got to work through those things. But generally speaking, um, uh, we all run our own business. That's one part of it. But there's um, – we have regular meetings as well and we talk about our what we're going to do with our businesses and how we're going to achieve that and how we can help each other. But that that was more so in the beginning. We've sort of become more and more independent as the years goes on because that's what we all wanted. That was what, our, part of our goal. But at the same time, we're all right behind each other and if there's something that needs doing or um, – developing or assistance in any way then we're we're all going to help each other and it's not just um you know it could be a little bit financially but it's more so in like support role advice um actual labor or whatever you know in that way and that's so reassuring to have that uh, network of people behind you and the whole the whole group is like that well I know you've got a lot of work to get back to, so I will. I'll, <laughs> a nap. <laughs> oh, please, as if the I'm day this, the day this day, this lady takes a nap, please. Yes, but no, I, I can attest to the four thousand loads of um, laundry that we've still got to go. Why can't we work naked? <laughs> Imagine how much quicker and like simpler your life would be, but you probably have to have shares in like an aloe vera company. <laughs> so, and imagine like this. Well, imagine mustering through the spinifex naked and the spiders. <laughs> oh, yes. So that is, uh, I have made notes to bring that up with Rory as a point of discussion. Now, Kudari is a lovely coastal Pilbara, West Pilbara cattle station. Beautiful, as you said, drought master herd, <laughs> and they are pretty schmick looking too. Like I said, good, well kept secret. But uh, after going out on a breeder muster yesterday, we're going to go muster the cows, they said. It will be fun, they said. I have never ridden through so many spiderwebs in my life. In my life, guys. And it's not even very thick country. Like, but uh, And also in the staff quarters, uh, there's at least two hunt- regulars of huntsmen. There's um, Milton and I think it's Maria, uh, which we got. Anyway, There's but there's more. Like, you, oh, my God. Anyway. I, I just wanted to put it out there that I think um, they're actually working on a side hustle here and they're 
If you, yeah, if you can find a way to make money from spiders, you guys will be laughing because <laughs> you've got enough of them here. Like, <laughs> Thanks. You need to muster Excellent. them. But anyway, um, <laughs> getting back on track, uh, looking back at your story so far and – just uh, making a note while you're here that this is your first episode, not your last, <laughs> certainly not your last. What would you say is the biggest lesson that you've learned along the way? Oh, gosh, I feel like I've I gave so you- many lessons and I still, uh, gosh, if, I, I really, and because I teach my kids, I, I'm their home tutor, and one thing that I really want them to know is that it, you never stop learning. And like, and it's not about going to school and you learn at school and then as soon as you step out the door, you stop learning. You know, we are always learning. So what is the lesson? I guess maybe that's the lesson that you never stop learning. And that's, and to be curious, like enjoy that curiosity, embrace it and embrace the challenge. Don't be afraid of the challenge. Enjoy it and shake the shit out of it. Ag Workforce specialises in recruiting for agricultural jobs, including farm work, station work and agribusiness across Australia. View current jobs, advertise a position or register as a job seeker at agworkforce.com.au. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend or leave us a review. It really helps other people find our podcast. You can find our website at centralstation.net.au where we have over 1,200 stories published from across Northern Australia. All of our podcast episodes, a tourism directory for visiting an outback cattle station, and training and employment resources. We're on Facebook at Central Station, True Stories from Outback Australian Cattle Stations. And we're on Instagram at centralstation.net.au. And we're also on Twitter at Central Station 6. To discuss this episode with other listeners, head on over to our Facebook group, Central Station Podcast.